will you, will you pray with me? God, thank you for your holiness. God, we acknowledge today in the presence of you, Holy Spirit, and in the presence of one another that you are holy and we are not. We acknowledge, oh God, that you are the sovereign God over all creation. You know all things. You know what we need today, and so we make ourselves available. Father, thank you that in your holiness, you welcome us, that you draw us close to yourself, and even in the midst of my unholiness, oh God, you still welcome me. You still receive me. You still pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. You still cleanse me by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you adopt me as your beloved child. Father, thank you that you do that for every single person here. For those who are online, those who've gathered. Father, would you speak to us today as we open up the sacred scriptures? Would you give us humility? Would you give us a brokenness to stand before the authority of this word? And would you bless this series and shape us as a community of faith? God, we thank you for who you are for this day. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and fill with them. Take my lips and speak through them today, Lord Jesus. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray it in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's precious people said together, Amen. Come on and praise the name of the Lord. I don't know if we're ready for this. I kind of think we might be a little bit. If you're ready for this, do this. If you're not ready for this, don't do this. But turn and high five somebody from a distance or up close and tell them it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Yeah. Woo is right. How's everybody doing? I want to welcome you to church today, those at Durham, those that are online, uh, those that have come from different campuses. I see Pastor Sam and Donna and others, and it's just so exciting. It's a new day. It's a new day in the life of our church, and uh, we are one church in thousands of locations. What I mean by that is we are in a digital day. We're in a digital era. So if you're here in person, we thank God for you. If you are online somewhere around the world, can we just let our online community know that we are glad you are with us? Welcome to the house of the Lord. Did you guys enjoy the extra hour? You got to sleep? All right, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you uh, 15 minutes more. Starting on December 5th. December 5th, we are changing our worship celebration times. You might have heard this already, but we are going to start at 9 a.m. Let the early crowd say, praise the Lord. Praise hey, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. 9 a.m. and then our second celebration, which I don't even need to say to you because you're not going to come to the second celebration, right? Uh, my people. My people, you're going to stay right here, please, and we're going to be moving more and more people down to the early celebration. But the second one, so you can pray for those sleepyheads, the second one will be at 1045. That starts when, church? December 5th. Hey, um, what do you say we bless some needy children this Christmas season? One of the most reputable missional opportunities every single year is Operation Christmas Child. And uh, pack a shoebox and honor a child. You see the uh, collection dates, the collection week. We are a North Carolina collection site, New Hope, Durham. And so let's lead out here. There's the website where you can go get all the information you need and pack a shoebox at home. Or on your way out of here today, go into the rotunda, look for the Operation Christmas Child shoebox area, our Hope Missions area, and we have everything you need there. You can grab it, then you can go pack it, then you can bring it back. Lastly, and we're going to jump in the Word, check it out. Last Sunday, we saw 47 believers go public with their faith through baptism. Come on. If you got baptized, we 
honor you. We celebrate you. 47. Hey, open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Now, you're aware of this, even if you, you, you haven't put the words to it. There are basically three different styles of preaching in the history of the church. There is narrative preaching, where you tell stories that's grounded in a, a, an assortment of biblical texts. Jesus did this. There's topical preaching, where you hit a topic head on, and you hopefully all good preaching grounds it in Scripture. Amen? There's topical. And then there is expositional preaching. Expositional. And you will know if you grew up with expositional preaching because it's, it's getting into a book and it's plowing through a book of the Bible, almost in a verse-by-verse -verse format. And for some preachers, it is a verse-by-verse -verse format. One of the highlights of our Christian year every year as a New Hope Church is that we do topical narrative and expositional preaching. And one of the things I've always loved about this church is you love expositional preaching. You love getting in a book and just plowing through it. So what you can do over the course of the next month is you can bring your Bibles, you can already have them open to the book of Galatians, and we are going to honker down in the book of Galatians. I got a question for you. Have you ever had to call 911? Like you personally called 911? I, um, I, the year was uh, 1990, long time ago. I was a, a, a delivery boy for a drugstore. I, I, I drove a little burgundy Ford Ranger, and I delivered drugs, which is quite ironic if you know my story. <laughs> uh, but that was my first job, and I had declared pharmacy as a major at the University of South Carolina, so I was going to be a pharmacy major. And to kind of help with that, I, I got a job from a friend at his drugstore, and I, I delivered medicine. One day, I pulled up to the intersection of a, a main thoroughfare in Sumter, South Carolina called Westmark Boulevard. I know that means nothing to you, but it helps me tell the story. I pull up to the intersection. I've got a red light in front of me, and all of a sudden, I see this car barreling out of nowhere, runs through the middle of the intersection. I saw the whole thing go down, and he rams into this other car. Pieces of car, cars fly all over the place. It was a horrific accident. I threw my Ford Ranger into park. I got out of the truck and I ran over to the accident. Vehicles are hissing. They're smoking. I see that the car that got hit, that person was doing okay. But the car that came through the intersection, barreling at a high speed and hit them, I could tell that the dude inside the car was not doing well. He was a large man. I opened up the door. I had to almost pry it open. I got in there and I could tell immediately... He was dying. Have you ever seen anyone die? As a pastor, I've now seen many people die, but that was the first time I had ever seen anyone die. And I got down in the car and I started trying to get his attention. And again, I'm no doctor. I could just tell, medical doctor, I could just tell, he, he's dying. And so I start yelling to people, call 911. Somebody call 911. And it shook me to the core. For weeks, I was just shaken to the core. And I found out later that he died, not from the accident. The accident was caused from the massive heart attack he was having as he drove down the road. Now, why in the world do I tell that intense of a story? Because... It is with that same intensity that the Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians. It is a 911 call, church. Paul is not playing around. He has, he has discovered that the gospel is being perverted. He has discovered that there were Jewish believers who had infiltrated the church in the early days and they started to change the gospel. They started to add to the gospel, and Paul is not playing around. When you read the New Testament, and I encourage you to do this, you can go read some of the other books around Galatians, some of the Pauline epistles. There's a structure to Paul's letters. Like, if you, if you go to Galatians 1, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians 1. In the first part, you will see 
that Paul is introducing himself. It's kind of how you and I still write a letter today. The same structure is there. If you're writing somebody that you don't know, you introduce yourself. So Paul says things like, hey, I'm sent from God, not man, by Jesus Christ, God the Father, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you. So he's just, it's just an introduction. After the introduction, in most Pauline letters, he then has an area that we call the commendation. He commends the people for doing things right. He, like any good speaker, he, he, he wants to let them know, hey, you're doing some good things. He wants to encourage them. But in Galatians, <laughs> there is no commendation. He jumps right in to the matter at hand. And I want to warn you, he uses some strong language. But it's a very important message for us in the church today. Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 6. If you love God's word, let me hear an amen. amen. That's why you love expositional preaching, man. You love to just get down in the word, and I love that about you. Verse 6. I am astonished. Look at your neighbor and say, I am astonished. Some of you say that to your spouses. I am astonished that you would do. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a what? To a what? Different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to, what's that next phrase? Pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul is not playing around. As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. The power of repetition. If you didn't get it the first time, Paul says. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now again, this is typically the commendation part of Paul's letters. He, he has skipped that to get right to the body of the letter to the teaching of the letter, to make a very serious point. Church, this is a 911 call. He was worried deeply about the church in Galatia. And here's why. If you're a note taker, write this down. If you, you, know, you take pictures these days. If you're a picture taker, take pictures. Making sure we get the gospel right is a matter of life and death. Making sure we get the gospel right is a matter of life and death. If we say we believe the truth, then it is of the utmost importance that we get the truth right. Nothing less than actually the forgiveness of sins and the purity of the gospel is at stake. Now, just a little biblical context. 15 to 16 years before this, is when Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, put into a borrowed tomb, and raised to new life, defeating death forever. In the, in the New Testament books, this is one of the earliest written books in the Bible. You're talking about a very short period of time. Paul, you will recall, was a persecutor of the church. His name was what? Saul. And if you go read the book of Acts, you'll see three different times that the book of Acts shares about Paul's conversion experience. Once he gets converted, because he was really lost, but once he got saved, he was really saved. And he got on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he comes into the Galatian context with a correction intensity that we don't find much of today in the church. And I'm sure I'm going to be hitting on that in the weeks ahead today. We've kind of lost our ability to humble ourselves and be corrected. Amen. But pause. Wondering where you were today. today. Come on. 
And so Paul comes in and he starts letting them know, I've got some correction to do. Two things. Two things happen when the church gets the gospel right. Two very important things. Number one, people of all ages experience forgiveness of sins and are saved for all eternity. Amen. People of all ages experience forgiveness of sins and they are saved for all eternity. Like this is not theory. This is, this is sins. This is tangible shortcomings that we have that God forgives us of. This is why we say hope changes everything. The gospel changes everything. There is nothing more important going down on planet earth than the forgiveness of sins. The redemption of a human life. Can you remember the moment that you experienced salvation for real? I just want to pause for a moment and let you sit in that. Do you remember the moment that you knew that God had forgiven you of all your sins? And that you fully, because we're going to talk about what perversion of the gospel looks like today. But for those of you who've truly experienced the purity of the gospel, the moment you came before a holy God and you realized that you were forgiven of your sin, not based upon anything you had done, not based upon whether or not you went to church, not based upon whether or not you dressed the part, not based upon whether or not you were a good, you know, good child who obeyed your parent, you knew that you came before a holy God and you were a sinner and God's grace covered you. Do, do you remember? I know a lot of you do. And in this moment, hopefully, an explosion of joy is coming over your soul right now as you remember that. Others of you, though, might be sitting here and you've never fully grappled with the fact that you have nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. Here, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing that, that happens when we get the gospel right. God is glorified. Say it with me. God is glorified. One more time. God is glorified. This is why this is so important. This is why Paul comes in with both barrels ablazing. Don't pervert the gospel. Forgiveness of sins and eternity rest in the balance, and God's glory rests in the balance. Hey, you guys remember where we've been the last month? We've been in a series. What was it called? Red Sea Rules. Good job. You remember where it was in the Old Testament? Oh, good. You're awesome. Sometimes I can't remember what I said last week. It's in Exodus. It was in Exodus 14. We spent a month there. Now, we didn't get time to go to Exodus chapter 15. But in Exodus chapter 15, after God delivered the people, Moses wrote a song. What do you say we sing it together? Seriously. What do you say? Come on. What do you say we stand to our feet and sing it together? You're like, what are we going to do right up in here? He should not do this. Oh, don't worry, I'm not really gonna sing it. But I want you to read it with me. Listen to the glorification of God through what God did in the Old Testament, and that's what's at stake when we get the gospel right. What do you say we read it together? This is straight scripture, go. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea, you sound great. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a what? The Lord is his name in the greatness of your majesty. You threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. That's good stuff. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Come on. 
awesome in glory, working wonders. The surging water stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Let's finish this last verse. This is a song. Let's finish it strong. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Come on and praise the name of the Lord. You're a great group of singers. You may be seated. Amen. For some of us, that's the best we can do. God's glory is at stake. This is a, this is a series. I'm, I'm really, really thankful that God has led us to this series because this is a series that's going to make sure we understand and we get the gospel right. And when we get it right, what's at stake is the forgiveness of sins, yours and mine, and eternal life that begins here and goes all the way into eternity. When we get the gospel right, what's at stake is God's glory. When we get the gospel wrong, though, it's bad news. And don't think for a moment that churches don't still get the gospel wrong. Come on, let's just be humble and honest about it. Don't think for a moment that if I'm not careful and you're not careful, we can start perverting the gospel. When we get the gospel wrong, here's what happens. People are misled and fooled into thinking they are actually saved and bound for heaven when they are actually lost and bound for hell. Now let me just pause. Because I'm fully aware of the fact that in the 21st century, in this progressive area that we live in, in this postmodern, progressive, pluralistic day and age in which we live, you don't like when I bring up the word hell. And guess what? I don't like bringing up hell. Have you ever listened to a preacher? Pastor Sam, Pastor Ernest, have you ever listened to a preacher preach about hell and they do so smiling and something goes, oh, something's not right about that. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I've heard people preach about hell. You're going to hell, blah, 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 blah. And they're smiling about it. I'm like, dude, it's, it's not a pleasant topic. I, I, don't, I don't like bringing up the topic of hell. But this church has never been about bringing up those topics that only our itching ears want to hear. We, we want to preach the word of God. And the word of God speaks clearly about the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And real people go there. And so I'm, I'm like really okay in this moment to just allow the heaviness of that reality to settle in. Because when Jesus brought it up, he made sure the weightiness and the reality of that settled in on the people. You're like, where? What are you, what are you talking about? The greatest sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can flip there if you want or you can just, just see it on the screen. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus wraps up his, how's this for a closer? Jesus wraps up his sermon with these words. At the very, at the very beginning of that passage, he, he talks about watch out for false teachers. We should always be on the guard for false teachers. Then he says, Watch out for, there are wolves in sheepskin. Watch out for those folks in the church. He, he's speaking to the church. There are wolves in sheepskin. And then he says this in verse 15. 
Watch out for false prophets. No, I'm sorry. Not everyone who says to me. I'm sorry, guys. I just led you astray. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, depart from me, you evil doers. I never knew you. Jesus is right. There's only one name to call on when you hear that kind of scripture. Now notice in this apocalyptic scene, they come to Jesus and they talk about all the things that they had done. Hey, we did this. We performed miracles. We did this. And, and, and they didn't talk about what he had done. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, his favorite book in the Bible was the book of Galatians. He was a lot like the apostle Paul. He knew that the gospel could be perverted. It was his grounding, for those of you who came out of the Catholic church, quite a few of you here come out of the Catholic church, you love New Hope. His, his grounding for nailing the 95 thesis to the door of the Catholic church and pulling out of the Roman Catholic Church and thus starting the Protestant Reformation, and here we are, right, as a result of that, was the book of Galatians. So what is the gospel? I want to make sure in this series you know it up and down, left and right. What is the gospel? How would you define it if it was just you and me across from one another having a cup of coffee and I said to you, what is the gospel? Here's a working definition. And I'm just gonna ask us to go ahead and read it together. It's just a work. It's the best I can do. Go. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, died for my sins, rose from the dead, so that by anyone who puts in him will be made right with God and enjoy everlasting life on earth and heaven forever. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Notice there's nothing in that definition that has anything to do with anything you do or I do. The gospel is the what? It's the what? It's the good news. That who? Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He died for whose sins? My sins. Your sins. And if you think you don't have any, Bless your heart. <laughs> if you don't know what bless your heart means, grab me afterwards, I'll tell you. <laughs> Rose from the dead. So that by what? By what? By grace. Through what? Faith. Everybody say, by grace. By grace. Through, faith. Through faith. Again, by grace. By grace. Through, faith. Through faith. Ah, in him. Here, this is key. We may be made right. Here's a churchy word, but it's a good word. We're justified. Have I ever told you what justified means? A good way for you to remember justified? Justified is to say, it's just as if I didn't sin. Justified. It's just as if. Break the word down. Just as if I hadn't sinned. Made right with God and enjoy everlasting life on earth and in heaven for how long? And ever. And ever. And ever again. And ever times 10. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
It's good news, church. It's good news. Now somebody flip over to Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two, Paul comes in and he calls Peter on the rug. Peter, Peter the one who was called to preach to the Gentiles, which by the way, if you're not a Jew here today, you're a Gentile. That makes most of us. We are Gentile Christians. Jewish Christians had come into the church in Galatia and they started to pervert the gospel. They started to add to the gospel. And in Galatians chapter two, Peter is confronted by Paul. Paul calls him out. Again, I'm going to talk about this in this series. We as a culture, we're no longer good at being corrected. Paul calls him out. Peter's at this conference. Peter comes into contact with, you can go back and read it, read most of chapter two. He's in contact with some esteemed Jews. So Peter concludes that he wants to hobnob with the esteemed Jews, the fancy, smancy, elite Jewish people. Peter turns his back on the Gentiles that he'd been called by God to preach the gospel to, he turns his back on them and he joins the Jews, the Christian Jews, and starts adding things to the gospel. Starts making sure they understand that they had to add certain things. Jesus wasn't enough in and of himself. I had to bring my own stuff to the table. So we get to verse 6, Galatians 2, great scripture. Read it with me, church. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Listen, oh, this is so good. God does not show favoritism. Aren't you glad? You ever been around people who, when they're around one group, they act this way? When they're around another group, they act this way? And if they get around both groups, they, they tend to favor those who are more esteemed those who have more means. Look at verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood what? He stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, here it is, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When we get the gospel wrong, listen, it leads people astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the what? Truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You're like, what's he talking about? In, in the Old Testament, they, they, they had certain traditions, laws, lots of them. For example, one, don't eat bacon. Mm. How many of you praise God we are not under the old covenant anymore? <laughs> Glory to God. You put bacon on anything and slap your grandma good. And I would never slap your grandma or mine. She was a saint. Just a saying. Circumcision. Peter was joining with the Jews saying, yeah, we're saved by Jesus. He is the Messiah. Remember, these were Jewish Christians. But to really be saved, you got to go get circumcised. It would be like us as a church at our membership meetings. At the end of Rooted, you finish Rooted, right? And it'd be like us saying, hey, for you to join the church, we want you to go on out back. For the men here who are not circumcised, we want you to go out back. <laughs> Brother crossing his legs up front. <laughs> want, you, want you to go out back. We got, we got some, some rough, sharp knives, which are just nothing more than stones. Got a few doctors out back. And you got to get circumcised to really be saved. Let the men in the house say, ouch. If you don't know what circumcision is, go ask the leaders in Hopetown. Town. 
Paul is saying, no, no, no. We don't tell people they can't eat this, they can't do that, they must do that to be saved. No, we are saved through grace, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by Christ and Christ alone. That's it. We don't put up obstacles before people. So, so Paul would wrap this up in verse 16. He would say, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be, I said this word earlier, we may be what? Yes. What does that mean? It's just as if I hadn't sinned. Oh, that's grace. Drink some of that living water, church. That we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, what? No one will be justified. If you're online, just type in the word justified. I'm justified, just as if I have not sinned. Here's what that means, just making it as plain as I possibly can. Nothing you ever do. Everybody say nothing. Nothing, nothing you ever do or don't do, or add on to the gospel, or subtract from the gospel, has anything to do with your salvation. You have nothing to do with it. And in our culture, that's hard, because we are doers. We wanna do something. We wanna earn something. When somebody gives you a gift, we're getting toward the holiday season. Where'd the year go, right? Somebody gonna come up to you and give you a gift that A, you weren't expecting, and B, you probably didn't need. And what's gonna be your first thought? Daggone, man. I gotta give them a gift, right? You know it. We can do that with the gospel. What's up, brother? Everybody say, what's up, Aaron? Aaron, did you go to church when you were a kid? I'm gonna put, can I put him on the spot? See, when we, hunker, when we hunker down and double down on Durham, we can do all kinds of stuff. We can do stuff that we haven't been do, able to do in a while. Aaron, you went to a church when you were a kid? Yeah? And you and I share the state of South Carolina, right? Yes. Come on. You, what, what, what kind of? Go Tigers. Go Tigers. You know what he's doing? He's perverting the gospel right now. <laughs> I love this brother. He, he's, he's awesome. Um, so you grew up in church. Was your church, uh, what was your church like? Uh, I hope y'all can hear him. He's going to speak loud so you can hear him. Uh, I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. Bab yeah. Baptist church. Yep. Baptist church in South Carolina. <laughs> ha! <laughs> what was it like? Um, everyone looked like me. Everyone looked like you. So it was, a, it was an all, what they call an all-black church, an all-African-American church. Yep. Uh, I studied the black church in seminary at Duke. I love the black church. But was it a traditional church or more of a contemporary church? A very, very traditional. Traditional. Um, we did hymns. Can y'all hear him? Yes. Hey, this is awesome. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did hymns. hymns. We um, did call and response, the whole nine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and make a guess. Was it a church where everybody had to dress really super prim and proper and like dressed to the nines? Uh, yes, my closet still looks that way because <laughs> Can you still fit into those clothes? Yeah. Give yourself 10 years, my friend. <laughs> I, I could camp out on a few more things, but how many of you would say you grew up in churches where the obstacles that you put in front of people, maybe not you personally, but the church, was about your dress? You didn't feel like you could go to church unless you had a suit on or a dress or you ladies, those big, beautiful hats in the South, right? And listen, don't mishear me. Nothing wrong with dressing up for church. But the moment the church starts to communicate, you have to look 
a certain way or you're not welcome here, we are perverting the gospel. I, um, I, I've told you guys a story. One time I was at a church and I, I just got there. I was serving this church. Lady pulled up in a car that was kind of rough. She came to the door and the usher stood at the door and said, ma'am, we only wear our Sunday best at this church. I wanted to go Old Testament on him. That's a perversion of the gospel. What about in the South? Alcohol. I mean, we, we were convinced in the South that Jesus shouldn't have turned the water into wine. He should have turned it into sweet tea. <laughs> and and the, he, he turned it into wine. But somehow or another, the church came to the conclusion that you can't drink. And if you drink or if you struggle with alcohol, you shouldn't come to our church. Like, y'all know my story? When I was at my lowest of lows and hopeless, hopeless, the last place I ever thought to go was the church. You know why? Because I was raised in the South, the buckle of the Bible Belt. I was convinced, and I was right on this one. I was wrong on a lot, but I was right on this. I wasn't welcome looking like I looked and strung out as I was strung out. That is a perversion of the gospel. The gospel says you don't have to believe or behave to belong. The gospel says, come on amongst us. You belong here with all of your junk. You belong here. And when we open up our arms and we let them belong here, then eventually they come to a place of believing. And then eventually, and this is usually way down the road a little bit, they start to behave like women and men of God. Where did we get this wrong? Edwin Markham was a great poet. You probably know him as the one in 1852 who was invited to read the poem, Lincoln, Man of the People, at the dedication of the Lincoln Memorial in 1922. Maybe you hadn't heard that part because that's not nearly as popular as the poem that he wrote one time about including people. It's called Outwitted. And I want to give you a heads up. I inserted the words and God. I just put two words into his poem. You drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love, and I added these two words, but love and God had the wit to win. He drew a circle that took me in. That's the beauty of the gospel church. Hey, let's throw the definition of the gospel up one more time. The gospel is the what? That Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, died for my sins, rose from the dead so that by grace, anyone who puts faith in him will be made right with God and enjoy everlasting life on earth and in heaven forever. Ye shall never add anything to the gospel. You shall never take anything away from the gospel. It is a serious offense to a holy God. I want to end and I want to ask you a question. If you were to get run over by the proverbial bus today and your days on earth were through and you stood before God because the Bible says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You stood before God and Christ said to you, asked the question, why should I let you into heaven? 
what would you say? I'm gonna intentionally give a few seconds for you to formulate your response. Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If you started in any way, shape, or form in the first person, you've missed the gospel. Your response is not, well, I got saved in preschool, or I did this, or I joined the church, or I'm a good person, or I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't date people who do. Our response is never in the first person. It's always, beloved, in the third person. He said I could come. He said that through grace, by faith, I am saved. He is the one who welcomed me in. About 10 years ago, you know, I, I, I share my story in different places, and you know it, so if you're, if you're new here, you'll hear it eventually. But about 10 years ago, I was sharing my testimony somewhere, and, and, and up until that point, I've been saved now 33 years, up until that point, when I got to that point in the testimony, I would always say, I found the Lord in jail. I, I found the Lord in jail. And guys, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I felt the Holy Spirit knock me upside the head and the heart. And I don't ever say that anymore. I, 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 didn't, I didn't find the Lord. The Lord found me. The Lord found me. You, the very fact that you came to faith at some point in time in your life is a result that God drew you. God invited you in. God found you. The fact that we even have faith is a gift from God. Don't start with the first person. It is all about him. He's done it. He's the author of salvation. And nothing I can ever do can add to it. And I shall never take from it. Christ was, is, and forever will be exclusively sufficient for my salvation. Think about the think about the the, the 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 crosses, the three crosses. Think about the dude who's hurling insults at Christ. And think about the one who was probably hurling insults as well at Christ, but when he recognized who Christ was on the cross with him, he condemned the other guy for hurling insults at Christ and and he basically confessed his belief in Christ. And what does Christ say to him in the cross that day? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine when he got to heaven? Can you imagine? And, 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 and St. Peter, we talked about Peter today. Maybe St. Peter greets him at the pearly gates, right? And says, what are you doing here? How did you get in? I don't know what he said, but I bet he said something like this. The man on the middle cross. The man on the middle cross said I could come just as I am I can come will you pray with me father where would we be without the beauty and the purity of the gospel. And Father, I am certain that I've been speaking to people today who, who came to this place and they fully understand and have internalized and celebrated and received the purity of this gospel. They don't rest on their own merit or behavior 
but that by grace, through faith, they've received the gospel. But Father, I'm also aware of the fact that there are people online and here today who they've, they've gotten this mixed up. They, they've mixed in works righteousness. They've mixed in good deeds. They've mixed in certain behaviors that they stand on in false belief, hopeless belief that they're saved. And today, oh God, something has happened inside of them. And they've come to realize that they have no role in salvation. Father, forgive us of ever perverting the gospel. And if you're here today and you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know that you've been resting on your own laurels too long and you know that you need to put aside any form of works righteousness or effort or struggling to be a good Christian. And instead, you need to fall into the everlasting and loving arms of God who sent his son Jesus, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you've received that today. And when you stand before God one day, you don't want to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. And so you want to make sure today that you rest solely, exclusively on what Christ has done. Would you just lift up your hands so I can pray for you? Just lift them up because I want to pray for you if that's you and you want to accept Christ. Raise them up. Lift them up and pray with me. Yes. Praise God. Keep them up high. See you folks up there. Yeah. Hey, if you desire to know Christ today, to, to just receive the gospel, not do anything, just receive it. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior based not upon anything I shall ever do but based upon what you have done. I love you. Thank you for first loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let them know here in person and online.